Word Radio On Demand, 96.1 FM and 900 AM WURD. Streaming live at wordradio.com. The things that we're celebrating during Black History Month, and one of those things is baseball. Yeah, that's right, because uh, to this week, actually on Valentine's Day, pitchers and catchers are going to start reporting to spring training. And uh, the Negro Leagues, they are a big part of our sports history. And we've got someone here who can talk about that with authority. His name is Bob Kendrick, and he is the president of the Negro League Museum in Kansas City. Bob, welcome to Reality Check. How are you today? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me on the show. Oh, absolutely. Bob, spring training is starting. That means uh, everyone is going to be excited about the return of baseball. You know, the Super Bowl was last night, so that means it for the NFL for a while. And we move on to baseball. Now, the Negro Leagues, big part of sports history. What do you think it is that is the legacy of the Negro Leagues? And how should we view them uh, through a contemporary lens? And not only is it a significant part of sports history, it's an integral part of American history. Mm. And honestly, I think that's the thing that probably grabs my visitors by surprise. I do believe the work that we've done over the last three decades here at the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum, that people now come here expecting to meet some pretty good baseball players. And of course, you're going to leave not being disappointed. You're going to be some of the greatest athletes to ever put on a baseball uniform. But by the time that our guests walk away from this this experience, I think they walk away with a deeper and much more profound perspective on how the Negro Leagues not only changed the game, but changed this country for the better. And, And I think it's that social aspect that probably surprises people. This story is so much bigger than the game of baseball. Baseball is merely a premise for a far more grandiose story. I think when you delve into this story a little bit deeper, you'll find that this is a story about the importance of economic empowerment. Mm. This is a story about an unprecedented level of leadership that emerged in many African-American communities as a result of the formation of these Negro Leagues. And ultimately, it is about the social advancement of America as Jackie Robinson is handpicked from the great Kansas City Monarchs to be the chosen one to break Major League Baseball's six-decade-long self-imposed color barrier. Mm. What do you think then, uh, and, and you referenced Jackie Robinson, who of course is the celebrated Brooklyn Dodgers uh, baseball player who integrated uh, Major League Baseball, but the Negro Leagues were thriving. Do you, and I know you have this conversation about whether or not uh, in context, looking at it now, whether Jackie Robinson's uh, ascension into Major League Baseball really uh, hurt the community and the the economic empowerment that you were talking about in the Negro Leagues. It's a fascinatingly complicated story Mm. for exactly what you just mentioned. As I share with my guests all the time here at the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum, there is always a cost for progress, Mm. or in this case, what was deemed progress. 
because you're right. Essentially, wherever you had successful black baseball, you had thriving black economies. And so when we lost the Negro Leagues, I'm not sure that the African-American community realized what it was losing. Mm. It was losing that catalyst that sparked so much of that economic development. And we make the bold assertion that Jackie Robinson's breaking of the color barrier wasn't just a part of a civil rights movement. It was the beginning of a civil rights movement. This is 1947. So this is before those more noted civil rights occurrences. So this is before Brown versus the Board of Education. This is before Rosa Parks' refusal to move to the back of the bus. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., as my friend, the late great Buck O'Neill would say so eloquently, was merely a sophomore at Morehouse College in Atlanta, Georgia, when Jackie signed his contract to play in the Dodgers organization. Our very own President Harry S. Truman, born right up the road from where the museum operates, Independence, Missouri, would not integrate the armed forces until a year after Jackie. Mm. So Jackie's mm. integration of baseball, in essence, spawned integration in a more broader spectrum. That integration absolutely hurt the African-American community because those segregated, mandated Black-owned businesses, which is what segregation generated, it forced us to have our own. The Negro Leagues were bringing them a built-in clientele that led them to their economic heights. When we lose the Negro Leagues, we lost that driver. So you could say that the Negro Leagues took one for the team. (laughs) (laughs) That is certainly one way to view it. What was was the atmosphere like in the Negro Leagues? Because I've done some reading. I've written a story on it. What was it like when you were coming out uh, to a Negro League game? We have a display right here in Philadelphia uh, on Gerard Avenue in of the Philadelphia Stars. They have yes. uh, apparently had a stadium there and that is where people came out. So what was it like coming out to a Negro League game? It was a show. It was a show. You went to see and you went to be seen. This was entertainment at its finest. And, and I say that because I don't want people to think that you weren't going to see great fundamentally sound baseball because these guys could play but they knew it was entertainment as well. And so when you went to a Negro Leagues game, you were going to be thoroughly entertained. You know, you'd hear the players say that the major leaguers would accuse them of showboating. Mm. A guy went in the hole, dove, flipped it behind his back, started the double play. Today, that's an ESPN Sports Center top 10 highlight every night of the week. But in the Negro Leagues, the major leaguers say, oh, they just showboating. But again, as my friend Buck O'Neill would say, number one, if you got something to show, show it. (laughs) (laughs) Number two, it's only showboating when you can't do it. Uh Uh-huh. And so these games brought out the best. And what was so exciting, it was something that was inherently ours. Mm. And we supported it tremendously. Now, it was shared with others. Because there were a number of white fans who moved over to black baseball. And and many would say that they were witnessing the best baseball being played in this country without question. 
the most entertaining brand of baseball being played. As Buck would say, you couldn't go to the concession stand because you might miss something that you ain't never seen before. <laughs> now, you, you'll have to explain a little bit about Buck O'Neill, who is a, a Negro Leagues great among many Negro Leagues greats, uh, but you've referenced him, so go ahead and tell us a little bit about who he uh, was. And, and you, hear me, you hear me mention Buck quite often because he was one of my best friends, my mentor, and my confidant. He was also the founder of the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum, and as you mentioned, a legendary Negro Leaguer himself. He is our most recent inductee into the National Baseball Hall of Fame when he crossed over that threshold into baseball immortality in 2022, 16 years after he missed by one vote. Mm. Yeah, 16 years after he missed by one vote, and he would pass away later that year at age 94, a month shy of his 95th birthday. Buck was also the first African-American coach in Major League Baseball history in 1962 with the Chicago Cubs. He signed Ernie Banks, Lou Brock, Lee Arthur Smith, all Hall of Famers to their first Major League contracts, hopefully a future Hall of Famer in Joe Carter to his first professional baseball contract. And so Buck's place in history is certainly cemented. But he he tell you his greatest gift, his greatest contribution was the building of this great museum in Kansas City. So that as he would oftentimes say when I asked him why he wanted to build a Negro Leagues Museum, so that we would be remembered. He did not want them to be forgotten, not only for what they gave to the game of baseball, but what they gave to this country. Mm. Now, there are so many personalities and, and stars in the Negro Leagues. I know we can't go through all of them in the time that we have, but certainly people know Satchel Paige and they know others. Uh, just name a few that really stood out uh, in terms of what they meant to the Negro Leagues. And some of them went on to play in the major leagues uh, following up they on did. Jackie Robinson. They did. And a lot of people don't know that Jackie's career began in the Negro Leagues. 1945, he's playing right here in Kansas City for the great Kansas City Monarchs. And he was only here for five months. But as I tell folks, those five months he was here, he fell in love with everything that Kansas City is famous for, barbecue and jazz. And I think people think that Jackie just walked out of nowhere and started playing for the Brooklyn Dodgers, but his real rookie season was here in Kansas City in 1945. But those guys who preceded him, the guys who were before him, they're the ones who built that bridge so that others could cross over. But when we look contemporarily, Henry Aaron played for the Indianapolis Clown, mm. the legendary Willie Mays for the Birmingham Black Barons. These guys became household names in the major leagues. But you hear guys talk about Josh Gibson and the power that Gibson had. I tell people, Babe Ruth was for Major League Baseball and white folks, Paul Bunyan. Josh Gibson was our John Henry, a hard hammering man. That big <laughs> bat of his, his, the power is almost mythical-like, but folks, it was real. It was real, and, and he was legendary. Cool Papa Bell. The, I think the greatest nickname in baseball history, bar none. I would he have to agree. The fastest <laughs> man to 
to ever play this game. Y'all, they clocked him in 12 seconds, circling the bases from home to home. His good friend Satchel Paige would say of cool that he was so fast he could walk in a room, turn off the lights, get in bed, pull up the covers before the room went dark. And cool speed was legendary. But those names are mainstream names. People heard Josh Gibson, Cool Papa Bell. But when I start talking about players like Martin DeHigo, the great Cuban ball player, he holds the distinction of being in five different countries, baseball halls of fame. Wow. He's in the Mexican, Cuban, Venezuelan, Dominican, and in Cooperstown. Played all nine positions, played all nine of them well. Yeah, no, how could we not know about a ball player the magnitude of Martin DeHigo? Yeah, and, and really, the list goes on and on of superstars who had the game integrated earlier. They'd have been great stars in the major leagues. They'd have been stars in any league. They just happen to be stars there in the major league. Now, I've got to ask you about one key figure in the Negro Leagues, and that is Rube Foster, because I feel like his name and story have really been lost to history. Tell us about him. You could make a case that he might be the most influential person in baseball history, because what Rube did in establishing the Negro Leagues in a meeting, ironically, that took place in Kansas City 104 years ago tomorrow, mm. February 13, 1920, is when Rube convinced a group of eight independent black baseball team owners to give up their independency in order for black baseball to survive and thrive that they needed an organized structure mirrored right after Major League Baseball. Rube Foster is the rarest of baseball figures because Rube Foster would have gone in the Hall of Fame as a player, as a manager, and as an executive. And you don't find many, if any, who check all three boxes. I say that he is the greatest baseball mind this sport has ever seen. And virtually no one knows who the heck he is, even though he is rightfully enshrined in the National Baseball Hall of Fame. Now, I've got to ask, a couple of years ago, I think four or five years ago, Major League Baseball decided to accept the statistics uh, from the Negro Leagues as part of the overall history of baseball. What what did that do and what impact did that have on the legacy of the Negro Leagues? That was in 2020, December of 2020, when that announcement was made by Major League Baseball, a historic announcement. And for me... It was the historical validation of what the Negro Leagues represented in this country, even more so than the weaving in of the statistical data, because the Negro Leagues were as major league as any league. And these other leagues that had far less impact than the Negro Leagues had been formally recognized by Major League Baseball. And so at long last, Major League Baseball acknowledged what we already knew, how great the Negro Leagues really were. And then the other component, as you referenced, was the rolling in of the statistics of the Negro Leagues into Major League Baseball annals. And so for all of us who are stewards of this story, that was a significant moment in time. 
because it meant that the Negro Leagues were getting the respect that they justly would do. And, and so we'll see eventually these numbers uh, pull together. Historians have done yeoman duty. I won't say that it was like trying to find a needle in a haystack, but it damn near was. You know, to go back and try and unearth all of the empirical data that's necessary to make this happen is significant. And we tip our cap to the work that they've done because it was a challenging effort. So much of this stuff seemingly had been lost to time. And they've been able to unearth this data. Baseball is this wonderful game of comparison and statistics. And we never really had the statistical data for that baseball fan that just clamors for that kind of thing. Now, I tell people all the time, you can never reduce the Negro Leagues to statistics. Because you're not comparing apples to apples. No major leader ever had to endure what these athletes had to endure. You know, no major leader had to worry about riding on the bus. You can roll into a town, fill up the ballpark, but then not be able to get a meal from the same fans who had just cheered you mm. or not have a place to stay. So you slept on the bus and you ate your peanut butter and crackers until you could get to a place that would offer them basic services. Many occasions they could use the major league stadiums, but they couldn't take a shower mm. in those stadiums. Couldn't wash your uniform. You know, so no major leaguer ever had to endure that level of hardship. Yet somehow or another, these athletes would continue to rise above those social challenges and play this game at a level that was second to none. So that the, the statistics will be meaningful on one hand, but they won't tell the full story. And, and I think that is, again, why this museum is so important to remind everyone of how they overcame tremendous adversity to play the game that they love. Bob Kendrick, the president of the Negro League Museum in Kansas City. I do have one more question for you, and it's going to yes, be a, it's going to be a complex question that I'm going to need you to kind of answer as briefly as possible. Okay. Why do we have such a lack of participation by African Americans in Major League Baseball today? We're opening a season where uh, the rosters for most baseball teams are short of African American players. Yeah, we fell out of love with this game at some point in time. And then I think, in, to some degree, Major League Baseball fell out of love with us. Mm. And, and so it is a complicated story as well. But to, to, to try and do it as succinctly as possible, a sport that was once a blue-collar sport has become a country club sport, mm. almost an elitist sport. It is a pay-to-play kind of game. And quite simply, it has priced a lot of kids in the urban core out of it. And so the work that Major League Baseball, Major League Baseball's Players Association are doing to try and bridge the economic gap that has kept kids away from our game is starting to pay dividends. And I love the fact that both entities have embraced the museum as being part of the solution where young folks can walk into this museum and see people who look just like them, who played this game as well as anyone. And not only did they play the game, they own teams. And they were managers and coaches and traveling secretaries and team physicians. We fulfilled every role that could be filled in this game. And you need to see yourself to believe that you can do it. And we have such a proud legacy. And of course, as you know, 
that legacy is fully documented here at the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum. Well, if you make a trip to Kansas City, if that is on your travel itinerary, you must, you must make the Negro League Museum a part of your trip. Bob Kendrick, thank you so much for being with us on Reality Check today. It was fantastic talking to you. And you know, during the season, we're going to have to reach out to you again and, and get some more of your insight. Please Absolutely do. wonderful to, to talk to you. Bob Kendrick, Kendrick, the president of the Negro League Museum in Kansas City. Go on out there and check it out. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you for having me. You've been listening to Word Radio On Demand. Listen live at 96.1 FM, 900 AM, and online at wordradio.com.